Okay, so thank you for joining us today for episode six of OCAT's Green Table. My name is Megan Kozar. My pronouns are she, her, and I work at the Office of Cultural and Academic Transitions, also known as OCAT. Today, we're featuring the voices of students from the Asian Pacific Islander Desi American or APIDA community in recognition of the Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Please note the official Heritage Month is recognized in May, yet the APIDA community wanted to celebrate to coincide with MSU's academic calendar. Before we begin, I, wanted to I want to take a moment of silence to recognize the lives lost in the Atlanta spa shootings and in Colorado, as well as the many lives stolen at the hands of hate crimes and police violence. Thank you. Today we have an outstanding group of student leaders representing a variety of APIDA communities, but I want to emphasize that it's still only a small portion of the diversity and complexity of the APIDA community. There are so many voices that we unfortunately have you know, left out and we want to acknowledge that. Um, so while these students are representing themselves and members of their community, there's so many voices that are not here. And I encourage you all to um, try to incorporate those voices and, um, and their experiences in other work that you do. So we're gonna begin first by introducing quickly the panelists. So panelists, if you wanna go ahead and um, raise your hand, we've got David, Liz, Chloe, Justin, Bavia, and Sujin. And so we're gonna begin by having each one introduce themselves um, to their name, their hometown, their leadership positions, and then to talk a little bit about what are some of the challenges you face within the PETA community. I believe um, Liz is going first. Hi, I'm Liz Akkad. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm currently a junior majoring in comparative cultures and politics with a minor in Asian Pacific American studies. I'm part of an Asian interest sorority called Alpha Kappa Delta Phi. I'm currently their vice president internal. And I'm also in the Filipino American Student Society holding their external chair position. As a PETA student, I honestly have felt very unheard and unrecognized. Um, that's kind of one of the challenges I'm facing, especially recently. Um, within my classes, I don't often see any talk about my history or culture as an Asian American unless I kind of specifically seek it out. And even currently with many, um, with many of the rise of the anti-Asian hate crimes and stuff, a lot of professors and classmates haven't really recognized it. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. My name is David Tran. I use he and him pronouns. I am a third uprising senior studying international relations at James Madison College with a minor in Asian Pacific American Studies. And I am the former vice president of the Vietnamese Student Association, also known as VSA. And quite honestly, just to echo from Liz's uh, point, um, being a PETA student, it's an honor to be here, but it's also an important time for everyone to understand that the situation that's going on at hand with the Asian American violence going on in the world and just in the United States specifically. And um, for me, honestly, with MSU, we haven't seen a lot of administration taking action on a PETA hate. It has been, unfortunately to say, it's been normalized in our society and we've had enough of it. And so this is our time to really listen to our voices and reflect on the things that have been going on and call to action of what we can do as allies, key responders, or just um, Asian Americans ourselves. Thank you for all of you being here. Hi everyone, my name is Justin. I use he, him pronouns. I am a second year. I'm currently studying social relations and policy and criminal justice with a minor in peace and justice studies. I currently serve as the president of GMSU, which is an organization that advocates for undocumented immigrant communities on campus. 
I also serve in a couple other different organizations, including South Asian Awareness Network. And I think that um, uh, to echo the sentiments that people have expressed before, I think that a lot of the academic programs that I'm in, a lot of the spaces that I occupy um, tend to be very um, predominantly white and it can be di very difficult for um, APITA students and students of different marginalized backgrounds to receive support from faculty. And sometimes, you know, especially like I'm, you know, I'm currently a student in the James Madison College and sometimes I'll walk into a class and I might be the only Asian person in that class. And I think definitely there is not a lot of support for um, APITA students, especially within these um, very, very white dominated fields and majors. And I really think that um, one thing that could be done better is definitely providing more support to APITA students within these fields and within these, within these academic programs. Hi, I'm Chloe. I'm a third year studying international relations in James Madison and economics in the College of Social Science. And I have minors in Chinese and Asian Pacific American studies. Um, on campus, I work for the alumni office and I see some of my supervisors here. Thanks for coming. Um, and I also work at the APA studies program as their program assistant and I serve as the president of the Asian Pacific American Student Organization. And I'm also involved in, uh, I've done academic governance and ASMSU um, and Toastmasters and probably some other stuff I forgot. Um, but I identify as a Chinese American adoptee. And so one of my challenges that I personally face as an APITA student is connecting with the APITA community. Um, that's one of the reasons why I ran for president for Apostle is to feel more connected um, because as an adoptee, it's really hard to like feel a sense of belonging in Asian spaces. I've never felt, I'm always too Asian enough in white spaces with my family or in school, but then in Asian spaces, I'm told I'm not Asian enough. Yeah, I was like born in Asia, but and like, and it, these people like were born in America, like that are telling me like they're first generation, second generation. Um, so that's a struggle that I face, but also just learning about APITA history and APA studies is a big challenge because it's not, it's forgotten and it's not in classes. Like I was going to take, um, uh, James Madison class called Comparative Race and Ethnic Relations. And I didn't end up taking it, but on the syllabus, there was nothing about a PETA racism or anything. It was all just black and white. And that just, it irks me, I'm upset. But yeah, that's me. Hi everyone, my name is Sujin Lee. I go by she, her pronouns. I'm a sophomore at the James Madison College studying comparative cultures and politics. Some of the leadership positions I hold is I'm currently president of an Asian interest sorority called Alpha Kappa Delta Phi. I'm also the vice president of philanthropy for the Multicultural Greek Council that AKD Phi is within. Um, I identify as a Korean American um, I'm the first in my family to be born in the United States. I grew up as the only person who was a citizen in the United States while my whole family lives back in Korea. Um, my parents are actually moving soon, so it'll just be my sister and I in the United States. Um, I'm very proud to be Korean American, but for a long time, I felt really privileged in the fact that I was able to get a college degree. Um, I'm Korean. <laughs> which is a major country within the, just the world. And so I felt like the little things that I was faced with, like asking people asking me if I'm North Korean or people ask, or people looking to me to answer anything Asian related, despite it, me not, it not being in my expertise. For example, asking me about like North Korea bomb situation or like things in Cambodia, even though I'm not very familiar with that looking to me as their point person on anything Asian related. And I think like for the past year, like our personally for my sorority, we've had a Zoom, Zoom, bombing, attempt, a Zoom bombing event where we release a statement about 
but in short, there were four white men who came in throwing out racial slurs to us, telling us we had caused the coronavirus, um, pulling their eyes back. And I think that like this solo event didn't really affect me to a degree where I felt like my mental health or like I had received like trauma from it. But I think like with the multitude of the events, plus the Atlanta shooting, plus like the reaction that people had around me, it kind of caused me to rethink my voice. Like I've, even though I was privileged in some aspect, I no longer could be silent. I no longer could just stand back and not say anything. So I'm really grateful to Megan who has given me the opportunity to speak today. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Bhavya Kamapali. I'm a third year majoring in neuroscience at the College of Lyman Briggs and I'm double minoring in bioethics and philosophy and law. And currently the leadership positions I hold is, I'm the secretary for both Asian Pacific American Student Organization and APITA Celebratory, which is an organization where we celebrate APITA graduates. And I'd like to echo the panelists before me in saying that in classes at MSU, you, I can, I don't know if I can speak on a, like all the STEM classes, but me being a science major, I, in Lyman Briggs, I don't see a lot of um, APITA students in the, um, in like the classes that are required in, um, the HPS classes and other classes. And there's a lack of APITA faculty, especially in Lyman Briggs, which is somewhat unnerving because I would like to know more about like how um, there's been a crossover of APITA and like STEM and stuff like that, but there's no representation in the faculty. Yeah. Okay, thank you all for that introduction. Um, we're just getting started. So I am I have a list of questions that we have and in terms of the participants here, feel free to um, write down or ask some questions in the chat. I'm not sure if we're gonna to get to all the questions, but um, we have some questions here. So for the panelists, whoever wants to answer, you don't all have to answer um, unless you want to. So the next question, how has your family been impacted by historical traumas? And how has that impacted your life as an impeded up to the student? Oh. Um, I can go ahead with this question. Um, so um, just a little background context for my family history. So, um, oh, thank you, Megan. Um, so I am Vietnamese American. So um, I am a son of an immigrant family. My father was a boat person, um, that, which means that um, he immigrated here via boat going through Malaysia, Philippines, and then hitting America afterwards in 1975 after Black April, which is the fall of Saigon, which is the end of the Vietnam War. So my family does have that very important history that I embed into myself. So um, my dad was a refugee. Um, my mother was about the same. She came here about a couple years later in 1978. And um, it was quite a shocking time for everybody, for my family, or not 1978, 1998, sorry. Um, but my family actually is a small business owners. My father is a sushi chef, and then my mother is a nail salon owner. And to answer that question, I would say that it is very traumatic, um, especially with the Atlanta shootings. Um, that really resonated with me a lot more because when seeing that parents were being lost, you know, children were, no, were having the burden of no longer having a parent, um, it resonated with me because my mother is a single mother um, that is an owner of a nail salon. And so just putting that into perspective was that I'm up at Michigan State, I'm an hour away from home, I'm from Detroit, and could I could never fathom the idea of just coming home and then just getting the news of, your parent was shot, 
in a nail salon. And the person that committed this crime was white. And their justification when looking at their case was that he had a bad day or it was beyond his control to even like shoot people. And that's unacceptable. And um, it's just like a lot of resonation and also just going back towards everything that's been going on in the Bay Area in San Francisco in New York, there has been multiple an increase over a hundred percent of hate crimes towards the Asian American community. And the reason behind this is because of one, it being normalized um, ever since the Chinese Exclusion Act when we were foreigners to the people, to the American people, and also including with the coronavirus now with the pandemic. Um, the pandemic has definitely reflected a lot of people's behaviors and most people have wanted to put the blame on someone. And we've seen with a lot of the federal administration from last year's was that they pinned the blame towards Chinese or Chinese Americans. And that was generalized towards Asian Americans. So I guess um, for most of us, it has been internal thing where we have microaggressions and we have things of like, oh, where are you from? Or, oh, like your English is really good. These small things that bothered us, but we internalized it. But it's now becoming more relevant that with the pandemic, it shows people's real colors of how they really feel about us. So in length, we are accepted, but not accepted in the society because we're in the very middle. Do the other panelists want to respond? I can say something. Um, my family has mostly been in Michigan, Hawaii for most of my life. Um, but recently my parents for the past couple of years have been living in rural Wisconsin, which is definitely a change to what they have lived in. And I think that like a strong Korean community for them is really important. And they haven't had that in Wisconsin where they live because legitimately they live near fields of like farms near them. So it's definitely a change from the suburban Metro Detroit that my parents have lived in for most of their life um, and like different areas that I've lived in. I think for the past couple of years, it has been difficult for them because like um, with the election, there has been a lot of Trump signs around like the area that my parents live in, which I don't think is inherently bad, but I think with those signs cause like innate fears of what those could represent for them. And I think like when they go grocery shopping, this is like in 2018, when they go grocery shopping, when they go, when my mom goes to take a class on X, Y, and Z, like they feel like they're always being judged. And my mom and I talk about this all the time because she doesn't understand what it means to be Korean American because she's just Korean. <laughs> she doesn't understand the complexities and the nuances of the racial tension that occurs in the United States, only the fact that it could result in violence. And she's seen like the attacks on the PETA community for many years. And she fears for um, our family that is still living in the United States. And constantly her own family tells her to come back home, saying that it's a lot safer there in Korea where there are no guns, there aren't mass shootings almost every day. And I think for this past year within the coronavirus, um, there are a lot of people in the area that they live in that don't wear masks. And my parents' reason to wear masks isn't because, oh, they might catch coronavirus. It's that they think that if they won't, if they don't wear their mask, which they are, but like if they don't wear their mask, other people will think that they'll spread coronavirus to them. And they have that innate fear where we, they always double mask. You'll see them with like a blue mask and a cloth mask and that has kind of been imposed on me to also do the same. And they have this constant worry that they're going to um, have this impression that they're gonna cause coronavirus and they're super extra careful about that. Not because of the actual health risks that they might pose to them, but because of the racial tensions that the coronavirus has brought within the United States. And with the Atlanta shooting, it has only gone worse. And it being such a rural area where I have seen like maybe one black person, maybe one Asian person, it has been difficult for them to really feel safe in that like, they know that not all white people are racist. They know that not everyone is going to call them Kung Flu or attack them, but they just have this innate fear from the news, from what is going on, that something might happen. And they kind of live in a 
semi-state of fear all the time, which I worry for them as well. Thank you. Any other panelists want to comment on historical traumas faced by your family and how it has impacted your life as an Aputis student? Um, I can speak a little about this. Um, so going back in my family history, um, my mom moved to America without her parents when she was 14. Um, she stayed with her aunt and uncle. And um, basically she grew up in the US helping take care of her aunt and uncle's kids. And my dad likes to joke that he married my mom for her green card, which isn't true, but like, it's an interesting joke considering that how desirable it was to uh, move to America and, you know, pursue the American dream and whatnot. And so I think for me, there's been expectations set on um, many uh, APITA students uh, to be successful because their parents um, came to the US after like a long struggle. And, um, you know, they worked hard to send them to college and, and other things. And I guess that's a big thing. And then also, Speaking as a South Asian, um, there's always been microaggression, microaggressions present, which um, I know David mentioned earlier, like how we internalize our microaggressions. And for me in particular, it, it's like questions like, what language do you speak? Do you speak Indian? Which is not a language. There's more than 35 um, nationally recognized languages in India. And, um, are you gonna have an arranged marriage? It's things like that, that slowly like you internalize because you don't know what to say. Like, and over these past couple of years, I've learned to like, you know, not internalize it, but it's still things like that, that really impact our lives. I can speak next. Um... So as an adoptee, I don't, my family's white. I don't have to worry about my family, like going to the grocery store or just leaving the house. Um, as an adoptee, I think, I mean, every adoptee has an extremely unique and different experience growing up. But I think a common theme is intergenerational, like, I, I don't know if the trauma is the right word, but just as our families, like white savior complexes of adopting to save a child from Asia, save them from communism. And oh, in China, you, you would be eating like rats and living off the street and all that stuff. And so it's different because it's not so much you're afraid of other people hurting your family, it's more your family hurting you. Um, especially right now, with the rise in anti-Asian violence, I updated my Facebook profile with the frame to say stop AAPI hate. And some of my family members that are Trump supporters commented like, oh, I support you, like love conquers all that stuff. And I'm just like, I wanna be that person to start like a Facebook war, but like, I won't do that. Um, but it's like, that's so contradicting because you, can't support someone who called it the Chinese virus and Kung flu while also supporting me as like your family member. And so the intergenerational trauma is just the built in like systemic racism that people learn. And it's, it's, it's different for every adoptee. And so I've talked to other adoptees who their family, like once COVID hit, like their relationships with their family members have just gone very downhill. Um, but yeah, it's a lot different than David and Bobby and Sujin's stories. And I think it's really important to recognize that, that it, that how the wide range of experiences. Um, I could say something next. So just for some background, my parents grew up in different countries. So my family kind of experienced two very different um, things. So 
my mom came to the United States as a Cambodian refugee. Um, so she kind of grew up with like poverty and she was surrounded by violence. And so by coming to America, she kind of just had to like find any way she could escape the violence with whomever she could really come with. So a lot of times whenever her family could come in like kind of like groups, people would be left behind. And so people like my grandma or like grandpa or like just a lot of like people like maybe like aunts and stuff, they were never able to come or they were never able to kind of survive that violence. And so with the way my mom grew up, I experienced just a lot of like intergenerational trauma, whether like it was purposely or not. And that's definitely taken a toll on me, but kind of like in combination with my dad who grew up in the Philippines um, and like kind of like that along with like the colonial mentality that comes with immigrating to America because of the colonial background that happened in the Philippines. It just kind of like created this combination that made me have to feel like I had to strive to always succeed or specific like career choices or just like anything like that where like I kind of had this path already guided for me that I had to take. And so that built a lot of pressure on me, but I feel like, especially kind of as a student, um, working towards that, it's often kind of seen kind of like, or taken as like, like a stereotype. And like a lot of microaggressions were kind of like thrown at me, especially like in my younger years. And so kind of like dealing with all the effects and like also people just like kind of saying, and minimizing my efforts um, of my hard work just to be, just because I'm Asian definitely has taken a toll on me, but yeah. I can comment really quickly as well. Um, so like I identify as Indian American, um, but you know, my last name is Portuguese because my family is the direct result of like Portuguese colonization. I think that kind of has definitely impacted, you know, the, my identity and the way that I perceive my identity and you know, I have a lot of Indian friends growing up, but I felt like I could never relate to them because, you know, a lot of my Indian friends were Hindu or Muslim. So I felt like um, me being Roman Catholic definitely set me apart from a lot of other people who look like me. At the same time, you know, my family attends a Roman Catholic church that is probably 98% white. And every time we go to church, we always sit in the back. And my parents say that they like sitting in the back, but I know that's just because they don't feel comfortable uh, sitting with everyone else. And I think that's definitely kind of um, having kind of just like not having that community, like, and I think my religious identity and my ethnic identity, some, a lot of times come into conflict because, you know, that's just something that um, isn't too common. I don't like, I, it's, there's a very small percentage of Indians that are Roman Catholic. So I think definitely that's kind of been something for me that has always come into conflict for me. And even before I knew what colonization was, I always knew that, you know, my identity has always kind of been in limbo. So that's kind of something that I relate to, um, you know, in regards to like historical trauma and things like that. Thank you all so much for sharing something so personal and so deep. Um, okay, so let's kind of move on to talking a little bit about, you know, the intersecting sections of your identity as men, women, um, and sexual identities, if other identities or other aspects of your Apita identity, how do they intersect? The role of women, the role of gender roles. Anyone want to comment on that? I, I can start, I guess. I'll try to be quick. Um, for me, I already talked about like how being an adoptee has affected my identity, but I think being an Asian American woman is a big one too. Um, I didn't have a lot of Asian American women role models growing up. And so when I got to college and like met Megan, it was really big for me. And so I love meeting like strong, powerful Asian American women, especially adoptees. Um, they're really great role models. And especially we did an event last week with um, professionals and we had Melissa Wu, who's the 
Chief of Administration, and um, Eleanor Ho and Roland Huang, who are board members of the Association of Chinese Americans, and hearing from Eleanor and Melissa Wu about their experiences of being the only woman, let alone Asian American, person of color, et cetera, in a room full of white men because their industries are dominated by white cisgender men. And just hearing their stories is really empowering and something that they've experienced and I have too, and I'm sure many of our panelists have, is when you are a confident and like outspoken speaker, especially like in meetings, like I walk in to a meeting and I'm this like short, like Asian girl who still looks like I'm 12. Like they don't expect me to like talk and like take up the whole meeting if no one else talks, cause I will do that. And so it's really interesting and in how women are called aggressive, you know, and that's just not for women of color or Peter women, it's, it's just women in general. If you're assertive or confident, you're like labeled aggressive when you're not, so. Thank you, Chloe. Anyone else want to comment on how your other identities intersect with your Akita identity? Um, I can say something as well. Um, I am a comparative cultures and politics major now, but before I was a finance major. And when I was a finance major, I did a lot of networking within like different companies to like get an internship with high finance, like big banks, like Goldman Sachs, um, Morgan Stanley, like those really big banks. And oftentimes they have these diversity summits and these diversity summits are for sophomores. You go for like a day or two and you basically network with the people who work at these big banks. And something I found very alarming was that they have these diversity summits. You can qualify if you're basically I'm not a white male. Um, so you can qualify if you're a female, you can qualify if you're black, you can qualify if you're in an in in indigenous tribe, you can qualify if you identify within the Latinx community. And I qualified because I was a female, I did not qualify as an Asian American um, because it's not considered a minority within finance. And I know that finance is not the only industry that sees it this way. I've seen lots of different industries within STEM, within humanities, that Asians are not considered a minority. And often I look at these big banks as boards and they have like one or two females on their executive board. They have maybe one Asian person. And it kind of gives me the message that, oh, it's fine, we have one, that's all we need. Like, that's all we need. Like, we don't need any more. So like, you guys aren't considered a minority because you guys are represented by one person with a board of like maybe 30 or 40. Um, so I think that like within also networking with finance, not only did I have to struggle with being the only person of color networking with these people, I also had to deal with being one of the very few women who were networking at these things. And for me, it was very uncomfortable because a lot of the guys were the expensive Patagonia vest, their Patagonia jacket, which I also really want because it looks soft but I cannot afford that. Um, they wear the Patagonia with their flannel underneath, with their khaki pants, with their fancy shoes. And they talk very confidently, which is something that I have learned within a setting that isn't just Asian women because I'm in an Asian interest story. So that's primarily the people I hang out with, I talk with. And so like within the finance group, I learned to be outspoken, learn, learn to not be trampled over my voice but I think that also comes with being female as well. Not only is it because I'm Asian, but because they think that I don't have a place in a table there. Like I don't have a spot at a table there. And like that kind of really irked me when I was first going to finance. Not only did I think the industry, I didn't really think that information was that interesting. Didn't really like, I didn't gravitate towards it, but because of the, because of the atmosphere that was set. In James Madison, like I don't see a lot of Asian females within my major as well. However, like the community is more open. They're more willing to talk about different issues. Like I don't get trampled over. Like I don't need to like continuously push my opinion to speak, to like have to raise my hand through the Zoom feature instead of just unmuting. And so like, I feel like in that ways, I'm sure a lot of other people can also relate to my story in different industries and different majors as well. 
um, Sijin, that resonated really well with me. Um, specifically, since you're in James Madison, I understand how it is with public policy. Because um, especially with congressional leadership, um, the key word is representation, yeah? So representation is not even found for Asian Americans, Asian Americans at all, um, except for like those in California or like maybe those in Georgia with like B-Win as, as a state rep. But we can see, like, for example, like Michigan only currently has one Asian American state representative, and that is from Detroit. And it's kind of, it, I want to bring it back to like more like a bigger question, a bigger question for Asian Americans is that like, um, if you look at the education system, um, you know, when we all, when we were all way back when, like applying for universities and going to college, like we're very aspired to go to like these really good Ivy Leagues. And the thing, the key, the word that I'm trying to say is, oh, affirmative action. So that was a concept that universities were bringing up to increase diversity but at the end of the day, universities just did this just to increase their numbers of those of different ethnicities. And the one thing that was most impactful was that Asian Americans did not lay in this minorities mindset because there were so many of us or we were just so accomplished that we were no longer considered a minority. So we were considered a majority. And evidence was from, I think, believe it was one of the Ivy Leagues that was caught in this action. And in so it recommended a lot of problems and it just shows that like Asian Americans are still stuck in this very middle because, you know, we are considered a minority. We face a lot of hardships, but for society itself, they don't see that because they just see us as very accomplished. Um, we're very more passive and more to ourselves. So, like we really don't bother anybody, but um, there's a lot of factors behind that too, unfortunately. Right. Um, and then again, with representation, there has been a whole talk about, um, legislature recently um, from myself attending some leaderships and talking to some diplomats is that with representation for Asian Americans, it's not there. So put into this perspective, yeah, is that if you were a legislator or a senator and you're talking about racism and let's say you're white, you're making policies and you're making statements, that's great. It's really performative. However, the problem is, is that what is the less you need someone that is actually understanding the issue rather than just saying there and saying, I trust you or like, I understand what you're feeling because most of the times people in our leadership do not know what they're talking about. And it's heartbreaking because we are trusting them to make these policies and laws for us when they need more representative action and more representative feedback on what to actually do. So them taking the chance to talk to constituents like us attending town halls are the necessary actions in order for us to be more than just performative action and needs to be actual action. All right. Actually, that's a great transition. <laughs> Thank you, David. The next question will be, we have, with those, uh, you know, the, raising the issues at the town hall and the issues that you've raised today, we have talked a lot about how it's impacted the Akita community in terms of that anti-Asian rhetoric and the violence. Let's move to now, how can MSU support the Akita students and the community and I think David's comments are really in line with that. Um, and specifically, what can the university administration do? And what can your MSU professors do? Who'd like to answer or start first? I can uh, kick it off. Um, I think that one thing the administration can really easily do is just put their money uh, where their mouth is, you know, and actually, um, fund Asian programs and Asian resources on campus, uh, like the APA studies, uh, you know, department that definitely needs more recognition and more funding. Uh, I'm, I'm part of the APEDA, APEDA Student Success uh, co uh, Collaborative along with Megan. Um, and we're currently working to kind of like conduct like focus groups and surveys and things like that to see like, uh, you know, what kind of support Asian American students need on campus. But it's really hard because we're just kind of doing it all by ourselves. Like we don't really have a lot of support from administration in that regard. So I think that there's definitely a lot more that um, administration can do to actually support um, APEDA programming on campus and make sure that um, APEDA students have more, um, I guess, academic success. And I don't think that's something that's been like specifically targeted by administration um, recently. So I think that's definitely something that administration can work on more. In regards to professors, I really think that I would love for professors to be more explicit and more deliberate in addressing these types of issues. I know that 
I'm in MC385, which is a comparative race and ethnic relations class. And I know a couple other panelists are in that class as well. Um, and our professor last week, she, um, at the beginning of one of our classes, she uh, said something about a uh, Asian American racism and she provided resources and um, uh, things like that. And I think that was something I really appreciated, even though it was a small gesture, it kind of showed that she was willing to um, listen to us and stand with us, even though she was not you know, part of the APEDA community. So I really appreciated that. And I think that something that a lot of, a lot of professors can do is, um, you know, show that they are supportive of their students by providing resources and making sure that their students are aware that they are in support with the APEDA community. So I think that's something really big that um, professors can do to show their support. Mm -hmm. I think just a direct, um, a direct comment to the, Oh, what's it called to MC385. So I'm actually in that class with Justin. Um, and yes, um, just to echo with that, even though it was a small gesture um, for me personally and for Justin as well, is that it made us a lot more comfortable with the setting that we were in, especially with all the hardships. And like, even though it's not like, you know, you can't give us a hug or anything like that, like to make us feel better, but providing those resources for like our other fellow students who may not understand the situation and then educating them a little bit about what's going on in the world is something that is, more meaningful to us than like many um like justin said it may be a small gesture but like it still means a lot too and for the michigan state university professors and faculty that can do i think it's just check in with those that identify as asian american or Desi american or because you may not know what's going on with them with their mental health um i personally just got a email from professor marcy from ss um, 293 for um, intro to asian american studies and she sent a really heartfelt message, just checking in on me and making sure that my mental health is okay. Because um, like most of y'all have echoed, it is a very um, important, it's a very hard time in our life. And so, you know, being able to just check up on us, just make sure we're okay. Cause you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. And like, and our professors, if they really do care, it's just send that email just to check in or, you know, when you're hosting your Zoom class, just announce that these issues are going on and that we recognize and we stand with them is something that would just make us and the greater Alpita community feel more comfortable and safe. Uh, I definitely agree with Justin and David. I think a lot of, from like, I went to the town hall yesterday um, and a lot of the people who talked about the town hall was like, they wanted more from administration than an email. Um, and I think the PETA, like the demands that Apostle had definitely covered what they should, a good step to what they should be doing. And I, if you guys haven't seen those demands, I highly recommend they're on Apostle's Instagram. Um, but I think like for the professor statement, like I think it is enough for professors to just acknowledge it because professors have direct contact with students, whether that be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, my classes are Tuesday, Thursday, and like, it isn't just an email, like if it's verbally said, I think it goes a lot more ways than just an email. Um, one of my professors, I'm taking an IAH African class and he basically, the class is about like breaking down assumptions on the African continent. And he talked about how like the Atlanta shooting is not, is a hate crime. He's like, regardless of whether he had a bad day, regardless of whether he had a sex addiction, it's a hate crime. And he's like, there's, is that she's like that's just a fact and like honestly that brought so much like it felt like that was a lot of support to me because oftentimes in the news like I feel like it isn't emphasized enough that this is a hate crime like this is not just a random mass shooting that someone did it was intentional and had an intent and that professor said that and honestly it made me more engaged and more motivated to do that class despite everything going on my motivation is down to the dirt and my other professor just simply acknowledged it as well. And I think it goes a long way because it shows where that professor stands. It, it shows that that professor is in support of their students rather than kind of just like going about the class material like nothing ever happened. Because like behind that computer screen, a student is suffering. And if it's ignored, like it feels like their feelings are also ignored when they just want to be seen, like their narratives or stories or experience just want to be seen as well. So I just want to echo David and Justin on that. I think something that we didn't mention in the town hall yesterday is uh, 
supporting our Asian faculty, we, I believe, I'm, I'm, this is a guess, but I'm pretty sure we have more Asian faculty than a PETA faculty. And I think something that they might struggle with is talking about it, especially with their students, because at least one of my professors who's Chinese, he did grad school in the US, but was raised and did undergrad in China. He still identifies strongly as Chinese, as an, as an, as an Asian like national. And so something that I think they might struggle with is how to talk about it with students who identify as Asian American, because there is that like kind of cultural barrier between Asians and PETA people. And so I think talking to faculty and making sure that they feel okay about talking about it because two of my professors this semester are Chinese and they are still very like Chinese. I'm not sure how long they've been in the States but they still identify Chinese. They have the accent and everything and they did not mention anything that's going on. And I've tried to check in on them, but I think it's it might be hard for them to talk about it. And I think we need to address that and support our faculty too, because they're trying to teach when they also might be scared to go outside. And so I, it's hard for them to support students if they are having trouble supporting them, themselves at this time. Great point, great point. Um, there are quite a few staff here from CAPS, and they wanted to also know in particular what they can do to help support the community. Any of the students want to comment on that? I think one of the, one of the ways is definitely just by attending, right? Does anyone want to comment on CAPS specifically? Yeah, I can. I think um, like what you said, attending is a good step. I think just like kind of going the longer way to kind of like know about these issues and like kind of like research like different ways to actually help um, APETA students because I feel like often people can help in a way where it's just like kind of general, but like actually knowing what the Asian community is actually going through to kind of like Resonate with the students in a way where you could better help them is really important. Um, I know just kind of like reaching out and saying like, hey, are you okay? It's like nice, but just kind of like making sure that this is not just like one step, um, that it's actually like looking at what they're going through, making sure they like have proper resources that actually align with them. Um, Cause I know finding resources, especially like mental health ones, um, at MSU is definitely hard to find um, specific like APUTA ones. It's like very rare to find like, just like something specifically directed towards us that actually knows about our experiences. Um, and also just kind of like remembering that like, even though like this is all happening right now, that doesn't mean that like this attention to like Asian community mental health um, should stop here. So like continue to do that research even like months, years from now, because people are still affected, um, but yeah. Okay. Okay, so we're kind of, we have about 10 minutes left. I want to have the last question and a chance for the panelists to just kind of share their final thoughts. Um, the last question is what's next? So we have people who attended the town hall, we have momentum with that. There was a, an increase in support. We have, thank you for those who attended today. But now what? What are you going to, what do you want the participants or the attendees to do as a result of what they've learned here at the green table at the town hall last night? What's next? That's a great segue. Um, I just wanna highlight the fact that um, someone did list our list of demands from our Apaso town hall last night. Um, thank you so much to Kendra, I appreciate you. Um, so I think those list of demands are like a pretty good um, set, segue into it. Um, but I think the first step for those who may still be new to this or processing is, I think like I highlighted is one, just check up on your friends that, that, may, be, that may be hurting during this time. Um, two is also, 
if you ever see stereotypes happening on campus with your friends, like it may be a joke to your colleagues or your friends, but if you see it, stop it. It's, it's non-tolerable. If you were doing that to some, if you were doing that in front of me, would you ever do that? Probably not. So then what, what, what makes it right for you to do it when someone is not around, when you're not around that person, right? So I think that, and then um, something I want to echo from Justin is investing towards our APIDA programs and also as a whole cores and cops. Um, I don't think we get a lot of funding at all. And something for like administration or for those that are managing money for the university is that it's a good investment because we speak about university students having a great experience um, and then giving back as a, as a turnaround. If you want to have, if you want for the greater community to have a better experience, then fund our cores and cops programs, fund the Apostle community, fund the APEDA programs, fund our departments where we can study. Um, these things are key ways. It may not look like a good investment. It may not look like an instant investment or like instant gratification now, but I can say that if you invest, I can tell you that the experience for those that identify as a minority will feel much more comfortable and protected if they come to Michigan State. I think a good step other than checking in is educating yourself. One thing that we really want is data disaggregation and that's on a quantitative like numbers level, but on a personal level, data disaggregation to me is recognizing that Asians and Apitas are different. We are not the same. You cannot lump a Chinese international student in the same category as a second generation Vietnamese American. It, it just isn't the same. And recognizing that we're not a monolithic group, we have such a wide range of identities, experiences. I mean, I think our panelists today are pretty diverse, except we kind of messed it up because all of us are JMC majors, except Fabia. But um, that isn't even like a start to the range of identities that represent the APEDA community. And so just recognizing that we're different and learning about our history and our culture in America, like everyone's heard of Japanese internment, but have you, do you know the history behind the Chinese Exclusion Act? Have you seen the Supreme Court cases talking about race and ethnicity? And they're not about like African-Americans and like black and white dichotomy. No, it's, it's about Asian-Americans. Like learn our history and so you can better understand our identities and how we're feeling right now. Thank you. Let's um, just do a quick go around with all of the panelists to say final comments. Um, and I'm going to share also information on our vigil next Tuesday. So we want to begin with just the final, final comments from panelists. Final thoughts that you would like to leave the audience with. I can start. Um, I just kind of like to echo, like um, make sure that, you know, as you leave here today, that your actions are not performative and that you kind of follow through your words with concrete actions to help our community. Um, you know, there are a lot of great places to donate. Um, if like, if that is like what you can contribute in terms of like monetary, like there's a lot of great places to donate, like Asian Americans Advancing Justice, um, like Stop AAPI Hate. I know there's a bunch of GoFundMes going around for several victims of the recent Atlanta shooting. So there's a lot of different ways that you can um, contribute and try to help out, you know, like if money is all they can give or if anything else, you know, sharing on social media and things like that, just make sure that you are, you know, being more active in your advocacy and just making sure that, you know, like we said, like we want more than just an email sympathizing with us. We want concrete action. And I think that that's kind of the best thing that, you know, walking away from this that you guys can provide for our community and for the embassy community. Echoing what um, both Justin, Chloe, and David have said, um, it's definitely important that everyone educates themselves and for actions not to be performative and to actually demonstrate some form of results. Like donating is a good way to start educating yourself by watching documentaries, reading books, any of the sort and just 
supporting the AAPI community as a whole is very important. I can go next. I think this past year has been pretty tough, has been really tiresome. And I know like within my chapter of the Asian sorority that I'm in in AK85, we have 21 beautiful Asian women, like they are struggling. And like some may be more vocal about it like I am. Some may just be internalizing their pain. And I think all 21 of them have some sort of struggle and like we've had to adjust to that. Um, like I'm like here to support the Asian females that I'm responsible for as well as the larger community around me. But I think like something that I wanna emphasize is that like, I saw like this Instagram post where like, you never know what's going on behind that door, behind that person's emotional door. And I totally agree with that sentiment. It's like every group is, every marginalized group is going through something. And I hope that like, we can expand our repeat of voices, but also reach out to different marginalized groups that haven't been, ex haven't expressed their opinions, whether that be indigenous tribes, LGBTQ, like whether that also be like Latina X, like, people who identify in that community. And like, I don't want it to just stop here. I want, I hope that every voice and every story and every narrative can be more heard within our own university, but also in each individual community. Did we hear, let's see, did we hear from everybody yet? Can we go live? Yeah. Final comments? Sorry. It's okay. Um, basically, I think something to just do is whatever you learn from here, make sure it leaves with you. Um, and don't just keep it to yourself. Everything that you learned here and that we've told you that we think you should do, don't just keep it to yourself. Pass it on to other people. Um, like tell your coworkers, your families, your friends to all do the same because this shouldn't just be only you guys learning. This should be everyone as a community learning. So just kind of make sure that this information spreads in a way that people are more knowledgeable on what to do, how to do it, um, our experiences, and more. Thank you. Um, I can go after Liz. Um, firstly, I just want to say thank you those to those that are watching on Facebook or watching here. You showing up is the first step to action. Um, but don't, like Justin said, don't let this be performative. Don't just let it be only you sharing on Instagram or sharing news, but, you know, rather than share it to your neighbors, talk about it. When you see something, like, when you see something, say something, right? So just leaving that into mind and, and to just echo from Sujin here is that like, um, it's not just like, it's not oppression Olympics. Like we're not asking for ours just to be highlighted, but like as a whole, all of our minorities are suffering and we are all being oppressed and we all deserve a voice because we have gone through so much in so much history and for history to repeat itself over and over is just ridiculous. So I just implore everyone here that has taken the time to learn, to listen, to be present is to make sure that these values and stories that you've heard take, are like a main takeaway for you when you are pursued by other people, or you're talking to people that may disagree. It's like spreading the word education is just possibly the best way to seek for fundamental change. And then something that my mentor always tells me is that if you really want to change too, um, for something that Irish has said in the comments is that run for office or you know run for commissions or public legislature. Like we need that representation. And honestly, y'all, like I'm down to go run for public office if I need to, just to say my voice matters because honestly, I don't feel like my voice is. Um, but on a university standpoint, um, we continue to be vocal and hopefully that will inspire those to be vocal as well for us. Thank you. Did I get everybody? I just want to make sure. I can Someone's go. Okay, I, good, good. I just wanted to thank everyone for coming. I recognize a lot of your names from last night's town hall in addition to all the emails Apostle sent to admin. So thank you for coming. I know a lot of you could come to the town hall and so you came to this instead, which we really appreciate. And I look forward to working with admin 
I've already gotten several emails from the town hall um, about steps to take next. And so I'm looking forward to working with administrators to implement these changes. Thank you. I think I got everybody. I hope. Thank you all for attending. Um, this is emotionally draining work. So I wanna give a round of a round of applause, virtual applause to our panelists. You can do some reactions. We keep asking them to share their stories and their experiences and it's exhausting. So I cannot emphasize enough how much I appreciate them and they're continuing to do the work. I hope this weekend you could take some time to relax the much deserved break. Take care everybody, thank you.